from as early in life as possible encourage one another that we're worthy. There's worthiness in every single one of us. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Today I'm with a good friend, Bob Poutke, who um, is not only a good friend, but one of the most passionate and vibrant human beings I've ever met. Uh, you're one of the people that once somebody crosses paths with you, even if it's once, they never forget meeting you. Very kind. And my sister kind of my you. sister told me to give you a hug today, too. So <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but we'll get it's into the- Long distance hug. Give yeah, her a long right. distance hug. Back. Uh, for sure. We'll get into the details of everything, uh, all the great things that you do. But with the purpose of this show, I want to talk about as we weave together how mental health and or addiction have touched you in your travels. And I know you do some work with the at-risk community and re-entry and things like that. But just off the bat, is there any time or history of mental health that you remember in your in your travels? I think I've been blessed that family-wise, to the best of my knowledge, uh, we haven't. A couple of times people have said that they thought that <laughs> I was on shaky ground. But uh, aside from that, what, what I have seen, Trevor, over the years on a number of occasions is um, is people that are just too critical of themselves, do, don't believe in themselves. And so their self-worth is, is really not commensurate with how worthy that they really are. Um, and every time I've seen it, it, it kind of breaks my heart because there is just profound greatness, profound magnificence inside of everybody. And uh, usually we are our harshest critic. Um, so to your question, I don't know that medically I'm, I, you know, I'm capable of, of saying, well, this is a mental health case, but I have seen people that I, that I think have done uh, bad things to themselves, bad things in the mirror, um, which is really not deserving in my view. We met about five years ago and you were coaching my sister and I on business and leadership. And unfortunately, you and I only got to work together for about a year because I, full disclosure, was going through uh, the midst of my addiction and my mental health struggles. But even in that time, you, you made such an impact on my life. And uh, I just publicly wanted to thank you for that. And uh, I think about you all the time. And uh, I'm glad we were able to, to do this. Well, it's great to reconnect. It's even greater that you're doing well and, and you're on a upward upward movement. So that's really great. You know, Trevor, back in that day, you know, I mean, we were talking about business and um, and talking about teamwork and talking about leadership and what does it take to be a leader, including a self-leader looking in the mirror and actually seeing a leader that's going to put good influence on ourselves. Um, and so you were always a likable guy. You always seemed to me to be uh, a sponge to want to learn and to want to uh, get better. Um, so the fact that you have sponged up whatever it takes to get better is really good news, not only for you and your family, but it's good for the world because the world needs you. Oh, I appreciate that. So you are a fabulous leader and you've made a career out of teaching and coaching leadership skills. Um, 
And it seems like you build a solid foundation, at least my experience, with because um, a lot of people that you deal with have are getting into what would be a leadership position, you know, from high school. Uh, but um, the, the foundation of ethics, purpose, which I know is one of your mantras, and, and team building prior to digging into the meat of leadership. Um, why is a good foundation so important for especially somebody that would be young getting into business or whatever it is that they're doing? Well, like anything, um, the structure is only as strong as that foundation, as that cornerstone. So whether you're talking about a structure like a building or you're talking about a human being, I mean, that, that foundation is is critical to all that goes beyond that. Um, I do a, quite a bit of work uh, in high schools these days, and I have a leadership program that, that I do. Um, and it's very rewarding to see these students who – want to try to learn. They're also going through a time in their life where they're, they're not sure what they want to demonstrate to somebody else, what they want to demonstrate to an adult, how they want to deal with their peer, and so on. But it has been my experience that when you can touch somebody and help them understand just how great they really are, that they have character strengths, that they have a purpose in life, um, and that that the world does, in fact, need them, to see that growth and to see some of those eyes just light up and, and start to believe, like, you know, I really am somebody. I really am somebody. I'm really unique. I really am needed. It, it's it's um, it's very rewarding. Um, hopefully, it's way more important to that individual than the little reward that I get out of it, though I have to say that personally, it's very rewarding. You talked about the word purpose, and I, to me, that's a very important word. The definition of purpose is the reason that justifies an existence. So I often in my classes, whether it's adult classes or, or the high school program, emerging leader program, say, well, I'll take out a cell phone, a mobile, and go, well, what's the purpose of this? And so then you get the answers you might imagine you'd get. It's communication. I can put apps on it. I can do this and I can do that. And and then I say, well, you know, so that it's doing the purpose that it's fulfilling the purpose that it was made for. Um, I have found that if I get out of the shower and I take that cell phone of mine and try to dry my hair, it doesn't work. And the reason is that that's not the purpose for which it was created. Um, and so I try to do that to get us thinking about what what does purpose really mean? What is the what is the reason that justifies an existence? And then I ask uh, folks to think about the answer for themselves, the person looking back in the mirror, what's the reason that justifies your existence? And I think we're all common brothers and sisters that we have the purpose of serving a greater good, serving something that's greater than ourselves, that real joy and happiness, and by the way, wellness, comes from serving a greater good. Those things are the fruit of that. It's a it's a deep question. You can see some people getting a little nervous about it. I think when I was a junior high or high schooler, if somebody had asked me that, I'd be a little bit nervous. But I think it's very important. And I think it's important for us to not only think about that, but to give ourselves credit. We're here to do some good. I mean, we are here to do some good to our for our brothers and sisters. So yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. And so teaching leadership can be somewhat rigid. So you walk into a high school and you say, okay, what's your purpose? That's when most people, young people, old, older people are going to get nervous because they're answering a profound question. But when you, the way you do it with the soft stuff and telling people that they're worth it and um, 
to love themselves. The world needs them and breaking the ice that way and kind of putting everybody at ease. It's much easier to understand the work, dig into the work, enjoy the work, and uh, really try and figure out what they what they do want to do and that they can truly do anything. So culture and relationships, you also get into that. And it just transcends core leadership. You know, what, what people think when they hear leadership, you know, I know how to show people the light and what we're all about as a company or, or, or whatever it is. But talk about culture and relationships. So everything is really built on relationships or everything that's not working is is at its root most likely is about some uh, relationship that's not working all that well. Culture is all about relationships, whether that's the culture of a family, of a, of a business, of a work team, of a nonprofit, of, or whatever. It's really about the trust and the belief in one another. Do I trust you enough that I'll, one, be open to you? I'll share, you know, my vulnerability. Um, will I be open enough to listen to yours and to, and to judge less and just listen? You know, a lot of us would just really like to have people listen to us. I don't need you to give me a whole bunch of advice. If you give me two or three minutes and just listen to me, that would be very helpful. And we don't teach uh, society, we don't teach uh, empathic listening much at all. I, I mean, I think that's a huge, huge, huge hole. In any event, um, so you asked about culture. It is relationships. It's trusting one another enough that we can say what we need to say, that we can listen to what we need to listen to, and that we can trust one another that we'll get done that which we say we're going to get done. You know, so do I do what I say I'm going to do? If I do, you'll trust me the next time you ask me, and I make a make a commitment to you. Um, it really, you know, it's Drucker, I think, that said, you know, strategy, uh, culture rather, eats strategy for breakfast or lunch, depending upon where on the internet you look. Uh, but in any event, the point is that culture um, is really, it's, it's at the top of the list. You Two people can't get anything done unless there is a culture of trust, relationship, um, and the willingness to work together. And sometimes the willingness to subordinate what I think is my highest priority to what's yours or what is the you know the greater good. Tough but big. Yeah, and so culture's big in business, but you know the I want to talk about the the work you do in the high schools. Uh, do you get into middle school too? that kind of the 13, 14 age, or is it more? It's, it's been high school so far. I've had, I've had requests to do middle school. So we'll see whether that happens or not. But culture inside of, of, of a school or a group of people that may be working in your program is, is so important because like you said, at, at that age period in your life, people are mean to each other. You're trying to figure out your posturing. You're trying to figure out where you fit in and, did you have you found that inside that work that the kids are able to open up and, and trust each other and and talk about things that they may never have thought that they would have talked about? The things that I, you know, the experience that I've had yeah. in the schools. Now I've been doing this this particular leadership program in uh, in high schools for four years now, so it's a four year period of time. Prior to that, I would occasionally talk to high schoolers, and a long time ago, I was a high schooler. But um, so this recent four-year history, with giving them the opportunity to learn some things, ask some things, and work with each other, and not 
trying to judge them or tell them, dictate what they need to do. Now, I come in with a program, but I do as much experiential kinds of things as, as I can come up with. So they do, uh, they'll do an experience. They'll, they'll uh, build a marshmallow tower or they'll work in a small group and, and try to find what are the things that you have in common with one another. Now go back and find four more things that you have in common with one another. Um, work on this problem. I, I take high schoolers and I give them really awful things that have happened in businesses, you know, plane crashes and customers, you know, dying from drinking whatever their, uh, the beverage is and say, okay, so now the six of you, let's say, in this group, you're the senior leadership team of the firm that's got to deal with this. What are you going to do? And so then they talk with each other and then pressure's kind of on. It's like, okay, you got two minutes to come up with what's your plan? How are you going to deal with um, the relatives of whoever was affected? What are you going to deal with the media when they come knocking on you? What are you going to do? You know, I've had some of them say, like, I'm a junior in high school. What do I know? <laughs> it's like, well, you know a lot. And so what is it? What do you think? What do you think ought to be done? And so you see them starting to grow. Um, I was actually in a high school this morning talking about the, a new program in that particular high school, or this year's program, I should say. And um, one of the, one of the um, alumni from last year's class, who is now a senior in that high school, happened to come in and said, uh, oh, Bob, you know, I heard that you were in the building. And so I asked her, her name's Lauren, I asked her to talk to this new prospective class. And, and she said, you know, this program built my self-worth. I've got more confidence as a result of coming in here. Bob made us laugh, but I've got more self-confidence. And he'll do things and he'll ask you things that'll get you thinking. And at the time, you may think like, well, yeah, what's all of this about? But that thinking is important to us. Now, I didn't set her up to say that. Sure. I mean, I've, right. <laughs> I'm thrilled to hear it. I had no idea when I asked her to talk about her experience. Uh, that's what she said. And, and so I think with kids, they, I think with all of us, when given the opportunity to share what we know and, and to go out on the limb a little bit, but without having to worry that you're going to get crushed. It's not like, oh, that's a crazy answer. You know, did you wake up stupid to say yeah. that? You know, here's an opportunity. It's, it's, um, because kids aren't believing in themselves technically, you know, at that age. You're not. They're not, and they're deal. I mean, they're dealing with a whole lot of stuff. You know, if you and I think back when we were in uh, school, which were different times, different time periods. But I, but I don't think it's all that much different today. They do have social media, so there are more pressures than there were. Um, but they're still going through the "Who am I?" You know, am I a, am I a child? Am I an adult? Well, I'm not really. I'm kind of like in this in this um, never never land kind of place. Um, and, and again, back to like one of your original questions, I don't know enough about technically about mental health, but a healthy outlook and a healthy uh, human being needs to be able to deal with, with these pressures, with these, and a lot of them, the self-imposed pressures and trying to figure out, you know, well, this is the first time I'm 14 years old and this is the first time I'm 16 years old. What do I do? How do I do that? Should I ask anybody? What if I would? Who would I ask? I mean, I think it's a very confusing time. We get later in our life, I mean, I think we have the same kind of questions just on, on different matters and different issues. But I think without the outlets, without the help, without a mentor, without some accountability coach, we talk about that kind of stuff, without people that we trust, back to this trust, this relationship, without a culture 
of wherever I am in high school or otherwise without a culture of me being able to share my fears and my ideas and not have it be judged or not being beat up about having that, really important. So is this an elective class or something that they're they're offered and they're able to take part in? Or is it become part of the curriculum? It's totally, totally optional. So in every school over the four years, um, students are identified. They're identified. The school identifies them. I don't. I don't have any capability of doing that. Um, they generally they go out to teachers and say, "Who do you have that's showing leadership skills? Who do you know that might have some?" And try to put a mix together. Um, and where 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 there has been this mix of, oh, I know that Susie has already shown these leadership skills, but I don't know, Billy, Billy might be a diamond in the rough. You put those together and you really, it, it advances for both of them. So um, totally optional. They can, you know, once identified, they can opt to stay in the pro, enter the program or not enter the program. The schools have been great. They, schools operate on bells. <laughs> like yeah. in the business world, you have meetings and every meeting seems to get called on the hour. So you have a 10 o'clock meeting and it gets scheduled from 10 to 11, whether you need it or not. In the school system, they have bells that go from like 9.03 to, in any event, um, the schools have been really good to allow two bells. So students for a particular day will miss two classes to be in this leadership program. Um, and they've got to make up. They've got to do whatever they've got to do. But um, once they say yes, they've – to a person. I can't think of any that have dropped out once they say yes and once they get into the program. So after four years, is it gaining traction? Are, there, yes. are they waiting at the door? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> no, and, and put your humble you know, <laughs> self aside. I mean, is it – becoming a, a popular thing that people want to be a part of? Uh, in two ways. <clears throat> so there are other schools and other school districts that are reaching out and saying, I've heard something about this. Will you come and talk to us? And, you know, can we do that? Um, so that's one. And then within a school, you know, the, the, the student that was in last year or two years ago, they're telling their friends, they're telling their underclassmen, uh, this is something you should get into. So that, that, Lauren that I mentioned earlier, she was out in the hallway saying, oh, you ought to get into this leadership program. This is really good. Which is so powerful. It is. So, I mean, that peer pressure, which is both pressure, but also is encouragement. It depends on how they position it. it means a lot. Through those years, have you come across, uh, you know, it's a numbers game, but kids that are at risk or you, you can tell that aren't being brought up in the best environment and do you spend more time with them or, you know, keep your eye on them, so to speak? Uh, so I have seen that. Um, and, and as the, so I have seen that I've seen students that are at risk. I've had students more than one that either to me or remarkably in front of the class, once, you know, when you talk about culture, once these class starts to bond, I mean, they become a little bit of a team and they have their own culture now because even though they're in that high school, they're now in this program. Um, so I have heard some remarkable things that kids have said about difficulties at home um, that, that both break my heart and just make me scratch my head. It's like, one, I don't know why are moms and dads doing that? Two, 
um, this child is willing to say, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, some of that openness has has really surprised me. And then some of the responses by their classmates, positive responses, have uh, heartened me, but also really, really surprised me. I, and, and I'm not qualified, you know, like, I, I, I'm not qualified as a, a mental health expert or a sociologist or, or a counselor, um, but I can listen, try to listen. And a couple of times I've gone back to, you know, the counselor or the, the principal and said, I, you know, there's something going on here. If you if if you don't know that, you need to know that. And if you can bring some expertise to bear, uh, that would be good. I've also seen uh, students that are at risk that grow grow pretty substantially in their self confidence, and so they're working to overcome whatever difficulties they're experiencing, you know, at home or outside of the school that grow. I mean, they start to believe, you know, like when I say there is profound magnificence inside of you, I mean, I mean that. I believe it. And so I have seen where some have, you know, they start to believe that themselves. They look in the mirror and they see somebody different. They go, you know, like I'm worthwhile. That person looking back in the mirror from me is worthwhile. He's got value. He's, has got a responsibility to do some good in this world. And, and you see that and they're doing that on their own. They're getting some help. They're getting some encouragement, but they're doing it. You want to talk about mental health. I mean, that that's the purest form of mental health is taking somebody that is that doesn't believe in themselves, maybe being told at home not so nice things about them, and then fighting through it in the mirror with the help of people like yourself and good teachers so that they can come out of that darkness and – and have a positive outlook and save themselves from a road that might not be um, yeah. the, the best one to go down. So yeah. it's amazing stuff. And uh, so that class is great. And you said how other school districts are calling you know, for that model. We want to see more of it. The same thing happened with the Garing Center at the University of Cincinnati, which is a center for uh, family and private business. That was a, a new thing that started, and it's now being modeled all over the, yes. the country. So when you're doing good work, I think that's the highest form of flattery is when somebody wants to model something. Uh, but I don't know if your school district does this, but it's starting to become pretty commonplace. I wouldn't say commonplace, but it's starting, and it's a beautiful thing, is they're putting mental health counselors alongside your guidance counselor. So when you say uh, – I think you need to, you know, Billy's struggling over here. Now they have not only an outlet for the emotional part of it, or they can dig in as a tandem guidance counselor, mental health counselor, but it, they're able to talk to these people. And then it comes in, uh, transfers into the classroom where they're able to stand up in front of a class and say, Hey, I'm struggling. And, um, I don't know. It's it's just it it's it's such a critical age for people to have hope and and believe in themselves so they can they can be hope belief and and that support mechanism or mechanisms really really important. Um so as you were saying that I was I was reflecting back last year there was a young man in in uh, one of those high school leadership programs who it was very clear was struggling. Came 
came to every class day of my program, had a difficult time participating, at least participating in um, in verbal. Paid attention. I mean, I could tell paying attention. Well, anyway, so so um, a mental health expert. I'll call her an expert, came to me and said, and it was somebody I knew, and said, you know, I'm working with him and all. And actually this person, this woman, came into class a couple of times and then helped him deal with, you know, an exercise we were doing. And so I was curious to see, like, how would this work? Is this, I mean, is he going to react like, I don't need help? You know, like, why am I getting help and nobody else is getting help? It seemed to work to me. I mean, really? my observation, it seemed to work. And I applaud the fact that there was somebody through the school that had credentials, expertise, and experience that it was identified and was now working. It, it was a one-on-one -on -one working kind of thing. And everything that I observed from that point on seemed to have this young man on a better tra trajectory. And I can only imagine whatever it is that he's struggling with to have somebody that he ultimately trusted to deal with that he could count on. He's getting a crutch. He's getting some help. Uh, that's got to do nothing but good. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be do nothing good. And I think we need more more of that kind of help. And I think they're, they're spreading the word across the school as a whole and having, uh, you know, meeting in the auditorium and, and, and having talks as a whole. But, and I really think it's, I look at my nephew and my niece who are 18 and about to be 16 and they're just so mature i mean way not even close to the level of maturity that i had i know which i, which, I mean i'm 40 <laughs> i'm 41 and my 16 year old nephew is far more mature than me but what he struggles with and i think what boys struggle with is being able to open up to each other yeah and you know what? And I, I would love to have leaned into a friend and say, "Hey, man, like I'm feel like whatever. I'm feeling down." And I think programs like yours and all this mental health awareness that is starting to become mainstream is going to do ultimately nothing but good things for their life and turn them into just dynamic leaders in the community that are able to, you know, to spread to spread the word and and lead. So. As you were saying that, Trevor, I'm I, uh, I'm reminded of a class uh, two years ago. It's during the winter period, and the class just seemed to be a little a little down. I mean, there was nothing specific that I could. They just did. So I asked, I "said How you guys doing? What's what's going on?" It was a pretty good class. They were still engaged. Um, I just sensed something. So I said, "So what's going on?" You know, like it's. You know, like nobody seems to be happy and um, it's just kind of like there's this malaise. Uh, they didn't say it expressly, but um, I learned later that, you know, a classmate in that school had taken his life a few weeks prior to that. I I wasn't I hadn't been aware of that. And so so they said that and, and more were piping up. So the first person that said it says it and then there's head shaking and then more people are piping up. So I, I let everybody say whatever it is they, they wanted to say. And I said, okay, so, you know, thanks for, thanks for being honest, you know. Um, we have no control over those things that happen to us and around us. 
but we have the total power of choice, the greatest of human freedoms. So what what could we do about this? I mean, do you have any ideas? And so there were some ideas that popped up. And what I can what I can tell you is as they were ideating, as they were saying, well, how about this? How about that? The energy rose. And you could just see students sitting a little bit higher in their chair. And they ultimately said, you know, let's have a um, gratitude day. Why don't we as a class just stay after school one day and we'll write out these positive notes on Post-it notes, positive quotes, positive uh, statements, put them on Post-it notes, and we'll put them on every single locker for every single student in this high school. And then they acted on it. They did it. It was one or two weeks later. They stayed on a Thursday. They wrote all of these. I've got a couple of photos of that. And the next morning, every student that came, every member of the student body that came into school that day at 730 or whatever that hour as they start, found a positive note on their uh, locker. And I heard a lot of buzz about people talking about it. What is this? This is um, that then started to gain even more traction. So it seemed like it had a very positive effect and gained more uh, traction. So that class then went on to say, why don't we put up a goodness wall? Why don't we put up a goodness wall in our hallway here in this high school and just put positive notes up there? And anybody that needs something positive, do that. Or anybody that has a need, hey, you know, put it up there. And and what they're they're talking about is connecting connecting some positivity, connecting student to student, and this goodness wall made a difference. I don't know how one measures that, but it made a di- I could see it. It made a difference. And I could hear it, the buzz. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the adult population and working with folks that – do you work with anybody that's – I'm talking about reentry here. You're talking about anybody that has come out of the system – the, the legal system that, are, that wants to get back into work or society or anything like that? To a little bit of a degree. So for 10 years, I ran this uh, thing called Job Search Focus Group. And so it was open to anybody that was un- or underemployed. Um, and it met every Monday morning. It still goes on. So f- over the course of those 10 years, I ran into a number of people that would show up, they're unemployed, and eventually you start to hear some stories where they come and they tell you some stories. So some of them have been um, reentry coming out of out of treatment yeah. for addiction or um, coming out of incarceration, some form of incarceration. And that wasn't the total body, and I don't know of everybody that came through there. I mean, there were thousands that came through over those 10 years, but I do know of a few, and so they're struggling. You know, I mean, in struggling even more than, you know, one is unemployed, that is a really bad hit on our psyche, mm-hmm. you know, and the researchers have that like in the top three or top four things that are bad things that could happen to us. Um, so so I saw that. You put on top of that that somebody's dealing with recovery, be it recovery from addiction or reentry from incarceration, I mean... I think that's even more than a double whammy. I mean, that's really, you talk about self-worth, looking in the mirror and and saying the bad things that we say to ourselves times 10. Right. To get through that takes a lot. And it's, pre- I mean, I think it'd take a really tough person to get through it on their own. I mean, I actually don't think that you could. Um, but, so I saw that. And, and I, th- 
I felt personally like the best that I could do over those 10 years for those unemployed, whether whether it was in just strict unemployment or whatever, is provide hope. I mean, I felt like my purpose there was there's lots of people that can show you how to do a resume. There's lots of people that can show you how to do an interview or do a mock interview. We did that kind of stuff. But I ultimately felt that my purpose for being there was to provide some hope, is just to provide a smile and some encouragement. There is hope, brothers and sisters. There's, you so, so can't do, so give doing, up hope. So doing the same thing that you do in all of your other work, providing the letting people know that there's something in there that we all need as opposed to just getting in there and writing resumes and networking, infusing the emotional stuff. That is what I've done a lot of. I mean, I I do actually think that's, you know, I have some birth gifts. Yeah. <laughs> I can't add four numbers together. That isn't one of my birth gifts. But um, this energy and hope, which people have said to me for years, for decades, um, if if I do have a gift in that area and that's what I'm supposed to do, then that's what I'm going to try to do to the best of my ability. Um, and I honestly do believe that there is greatness inside of everybody. I did, I've come to learn that if I want it more than somebody else wants it, then it won't work. But anybody that's, that's willing to try, I'll, I'll give it the best that I've got. Um, and did you I'll see, try to did connect you see, to others. A lot of success in that in that program. You, you've got to measure it somehow by, by people not coming back because of uh, becoming employed. And I don't know yeah, if you so, tracked any of so, that stuff. You know, we used to call it graduation. So people, once they got a a position, they would mostly come back and say, "I've graduated," and tell us a story, or they'd send us a note. Very important, nice things, very gratifying. What the heart? What I interpret as the heart of your question is for me. Uh, that was all good, you know. That fall, that was good and important. Um, but for the people that said things to me over time, or that I bump into now, I mean, we were volunteering at a uh, at a park festival a month or so ago, and some fellow came up. Uh, we, were, we were volunteering in a beer booth, of all things. And a guy came up and I said, yeah, how can I help you? He goes, oh, you're Bob Poutke. He says, you won't remember me, but I came to uh, JSFG, you know, eight years ago. And and then he talked about the hope that I gave him. He said, I came every Monday morning and you pumped me up, you know, because it was a miserable time. I felt miserable. And you brought a little bit of sunshine into my life and, and had me believe that, I'd get a job that had me believe that I had some worth. And so those things made me feel good and made me feel like I uh, I was fulfilling my purpose. Yeah, because I've been through it. I've been through having a job than not having a job. And uh, the last thing you want to do is go to a focus group. You know, you're looking in the paper or people, you know, you should go to this and because it doesn't sound very sexy, you know, but but to go there and and get more than just some this is how you this is how you network, this is how you reach out to employer, let's write your resume, you know, not just mechanical, but but getting the boost that you need emotionally because when you look in the mirror and you don't have a job 
or you were let go for whatever reason, you're, you're stewing about why was I let go with, with anger and questions. And then maybe it's because I'm worthless, you know, dealing, you got a, it's a med, it's a mental struggle right there. It is. It is. I mean, and there's, so there's lots of things in life that are a mental struggle and, um, we can't all get through them all the time, all by ourselves. We need, we need some help, and we de- do need that tactical. Oh yeah, for sure. Know, the the resume or the Absolutely. equivalent of that in other, in other uh, treatment kinds of things. Uh, but we do need to believe that there's some hope, that there's some sunshine. You know, there's clouds out there, but if you keep going through that cloud, you'll hit the sunshine. Yeah, and and delivering a resume with enthusiasm and confidence is much better than you know dropping it off the front desk and running out. Exactly. You know. Oh here. Here's my here's if my you might have work. a position and you're, you're going right. I want I want this position you're right. speaking with you know becoming an advocate for yourself an assertive it's a world of difference so so I would see it uh, very frequently um, actually in all aspects of the work that I've that I've done for a number of years now but we'll put it in the uh, in the job search context is I see I would see people repeatedly you know the Here's what you need to do. Da, 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 da. And you could just see it. And sometimes they would say it. It's like, well, well, they would never hire me. You know, I'm not worthy. Why would, you know, so when when we exude that, not only when we exude that in the mirror, so then we make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. And when we exude that to the person we're dropping off the resume or interview, well, I know you'd never hire me. You want somebody way more worthy than me. It's like. But just in case, I'll give it? you my. Right, I'll give right. You my just resume. in case you go through the other 4,000 people that are better than me. And it's not healthy and mm-hmm. it's not true. It's not true. Yeah. And I don't want to say that it's human nature to be glass half empty, but we are hard critics on ourselves oh, na- naturally. We are for, for reasons I don't get, but yeah. I, um, you know, we have that bad self-talk and that bad self-talk is like, well, I'm no good at, she's better than me, you know, he's better than me. Or how about this one? I'm pretty good at, now whoever's listening to this, fill in the blank, however you want to fill it in. And then there was the comma, uh, but everybody is. Or I'm very good at, fill in the blank, but not as good as he is. And what I've learned is that everything before, when we do that to ourselves, say that to ourselves, everything before the comma is the truth, you are pretty good at whatever that is. And you know you are. Everything after the comma is a lie. It's the devil talking to us. I'm pretty good at X, Y, Z. Oh, but everybody is. That's not true. You are pretty good at it. Yeah. And and you're trying to tell yourself the truth, but the devil inside of you is saying, nah, 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 nah. We need to get over that. Yeah. We need to get over that. Truth is truth. So if if we're not as good as we want to be, should be, and that's true, then let's do something about it. When we are pretty good at something... It doesn't mean that we have to stop there, but the truth is the truth. <laughs> if we're pretty good at it, then we ought to own it. So in all of your travels with high schoolers, adults, and leadership, where have you seen stigma and how have you seen it affect society, whether it be any sort of stigma? I think it's this self-worth. I mean, that's what immediately jumps to mind. And, and so experientially where I've been – I mean, I I see this self-worth, have seen this self-worth issue over and over. And when I talk, when I say self-worth like that, it's the, when we're not telling ourselves the truth, 
when we're trying to convince ourselves, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not worthy of this job, I'm not worthy of life. I mean, so the person that looks in the mirror and is saying to themselves, I'm not worthy of life, it's not, it's not true. It, it is likely true that they're saying that to themselves, but it's just not true. Um, and so, so how do we, from as early in life as possible, encourage one another that we're worthy? There's worthiness in every single one of us and, and that the truth is important. So when the truth is I did something wrong, it's the truth. When the truth is I'm doing good at this or I am pretty good at that, that's just the truth. This stigma, I mean, that's that's my answer is yeah. I think it's this self-worth uh, issue. If I don't have enough self-worth, self-worthiness, self-view, self-awareness, then I think there's I mean, I think it's proven there's other things that we do to ourselves that are, aren't right. And whether that's addiction, whether that's beating ourselves up, whether it's taking us out of the running just because we don't think we deserve to be in that race or whatever it is, it's based on an untrue view of ourselves. Well, wrapping up, uh, I am a product of your tutelage and uh, I was going through a dark time in my life. I mean, big time. And... You were there to provide a lot of hope for me, even though, you know, that you were there for a business purpose. Our conversations, by and large, did not even center around that. It was about um, culture and believing in myself because you saw it. I mean, I was I was a glass half empty guy. I, I was didn't believe in myself. And uh, so I wish that more people could come across your path and I believe you could sell out stadiums for uh, for what you do and uh, I, I just I really appreciate the fact that you took some time to, to come here and I love you and um, you're I very just, kind I love you too I loved you then I love you now and um, I actually wish all of us would love one another a little bit more um, and starting with that person is looking back at us in the mirror yeah. True words were never spoken. All right. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound. Artwork by Neltner Smallbatch. And photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.